you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. The mind of one of the greatest horror and sci-fi writers our world has ever seen, Rod Serling. Welcome to the House of Horror podcast, everybody, and today we're going to be talking about my top 20 episodes of The Twilight Zone. Of course, The Twilight Zone is one of my favorite television shows of all time. I'm going to try to keep this intro short and sweet because it's a little bit of a longer episode, but before we get right to the show, I want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when I post new videos. And if you're listening to this over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, make sure that you're subscribing to the show and leaving me a rating and a review. Without further ado, we're going to get to my top 20 Twilight Zones, so now let's get spooky. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast. This is weird because I don't know exactly what I'm going to be calling this episode of the show. Normally, I have a pretty good idea of what an episode's going to be, what it's going to be called, Um, But I know for sure what we are talking about. We're going to be talking about The Twilight Zone. Of course, one of the greatest television shows of all time. It's a little horror. It's a little sci-fi. It's basically everything. It's one of my favorite television shows ever. Definitely in like my top five or top ten at least of all the shows I've ever watched. And we're going to get to that in just one moment. I do have a couple quick announcements for people that have been following along with the House of Horror this year. I do want to make a couple comments about the first two episodes that came out. They came out in reverse order, and that's because I had a lot of technical difficulties and stuff like that, and the video that I thought was going to be a very easy video to shoot, edit, and upload was my horror Blu-ray and DVD collection. And of course, if you've seen the video, that was obviously not the case. There were tons of mishaps while not only shooting Shooting, but editing it, there was a pretty big editing mistake in the video. Um, but at this point, it's already up. Um, it's too late for me to go and redo it. So, you know what? I'm just going to cut my losses, keep looking forward to the future, and maybe in the Behind the Screams episode, if I decide to do one of those this year, I will give more detail about what was going on. Um, during the shooting and editing of that. So basically, the first two episodes had to be flipped. Um, So the Monsters vs. the Addams Family came out first, obviously, and then the DVD um, horror collection came out on day two, even though I said straight up in the videos the reverse of that. Um, But just wanted to clear that up real fast in case you were watching them and you're like, what the hell happened? Like, I thought the first episode was supposed to be on October 1st, not October 2nd. Um, Just like weird shit like that. And the next announcement is just my little coffee update, um, which I've been talking to you guys a little bit here and there, and I said, oh, I need to get the name of the syrup that I've been using in my coffee. Um, So I was using, it's called Skinny Syrups, and it is the pumpkin cinnamon roll flavor was the flavor I've been using. And now I've moved on to another one in the pack, which is the maple donut flavor. Both very, very good. I'm a big coffee guy. Um, I'm a big caffeine guy, I guess. I love coffee. I love energy drinks, um, just the way they taste and everything. I, I don't go overboard. I do not have a problem. I'm just saying I like the way that these taste. I have, like, one cup of coffee a day, um, and if I don't get to my coffee, maybe I'll have an energy drink, like, later on in the day at work or whatever, but not always. Um, but I'm really enjoying using these syrups and stuff, and I might be doing a coffee taste test, um, later on this month in the House of Horror, 
Um, so definitely look forward to that. I always like to do some sort of like taste test or smell test or something like that in the House of Horror. So I might be doing a coffee one of some spooky flavored coffee. So you guys have that to look forward to this year. But as always, that is not what we are talking about today. We are here to talk about the Twilight Zone. Um, originally I was going to be calling this the top 20 Twilight Zone episodes. I still might call it that, but I don't want to think of this as the top 20 best episodes. They're just 20 of the ones that I like. Um, and I kind of just want to talk about the Twilight Zone in general a little bit here and there. Might get into some fan submissions, because I did post this on Facebook as well. Similar to the Monsters episode, um, where I posted in the old school Monsters group tilt and asked people to tell me what their favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone are. So this is just going to be a whole episode just talking about the Twilight Zone. I'm not really going to go into too much about the history of the show because I feel like that's something that I should do and devote more time to it, do like a full like documentary about the Twilight Zone kind of thing. Um, so I'm not going to go too deep into what the Twilight Zone is. I think you guys know what it is. It was created by Rod Serling. Um, it ran from 1959 up until 1964. Five seasons total, and there were 156 episodes. So narrowing it down to 20 was actually kind of a task. It could have been like a top 50 for me, honestly. Um, I like a lot of the episodes. Of course, there's some episodes that are way stronger than other ones. There are a few episodes that are pretty weak. Um, but as a whole, like, there's definitely a lot more good episodes than bad episodes. Um, and of course, this was running on CBS. Um, and of course, I think now it's on the CBS, like, All Access app, and I think it's on Hulu as well. I have a DVD set of The Twilight Zone, which is normally what I watch them on, and I have a box, like, a big box that I got at a thrift store of, like, 20 Twilight Zone tapes. Um, they're not the best quality-looking tapes, like, they're just plain black and say, like, the Twilight Zone and have the stars and stuff like that. It's not like each episode has specific box art. It's just the same box art, and they'll change the text of, like, what episodes are actually on the tape. Um, but I guess I'll talk a little bit how I was first introduced into the Twilight Zone. Um, the first memory I have of watching the Twilight Zone was back at my grandparents' house. <clears throat> And this had to be back in either the late 90s, perhaps early 2000s. I may have seen The Twilight Zone before this, but this is my first, like, memory of it. Um, we would always go over to my grandparents' house every single Sunday. Um, and we would just watch whatever was on TV at my grandparents' house. My uncles um, loved watching the TV that they grew up with. Um, so we would always watch stuff like The Andy Griffith Show... We would watch Leave It to Beaver, The Three Stooges, um, just whatever was going on on TV land at the time. Um, we watch all kinds of stuff, Little Rascals, um, lots of like black and white stuff. But I can't remember, I'm pretty positive it was during the Twilight Zone like marathon where they were doing all of the Twilight Zone episodes on either New Year's Day or Fourth of July on one of them. And I remember watching like three or four episodes, um, but the episode that really stuck out with me and I think it was the first one that we had watched, was Mirror Image, which I'll get into a little bit when we're discussing some of the specific episodes, because that one is in my top 20 mainly because of the nostalgic value of watching it as a kid. And it's still a good episode. It's still very solid. It wouldn't be... If I had a memory of an episode that sucked, I wouldn't be putting it into the top 20 just for the sake of nostalgia. Um, Mirror Image is a good episode, so we're going to be getting into some of those. 
and I've watched The Twilight Zone, like, off and on for a while. I've seen the full series, like, twice, and of course I've seen, like, my favorite episodes, like, many more times than that. Um, but I definitely have seen every episode at least once, maybe two times, except for the illustrious fourth season. Um, the fourth season I've only watched once. Um, it's a little different, not that it's, like, bad, it's just the quality isn't as good, mainly because they changed up the format, like, the episodes are an hour long, so it's just a little bit harder of a season to watch, um, just because, I mean, like, you pop on an episode, it's 20 minutes, then it's done, um, but the hour episodes are definitely a little bit more of a chore to watch. They have some good episodes, none of them are in my top 20, um, like, Printer's Devil's a good one, um, the episode with Silent Oakland, um, from Koshak the Night Stalker is another good episode from season four. Um, but none of them made my top 20. And so, yeah, we'll talk about my top 20, and maybe if we have time, we'll get into some of your favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. We're going to see how this goes. Um, but before we dive into those, there are a few other Twilight Zone-type things to discuss. I want to recommend a few Twilight Zone books for you guys. If you guys are interested in reading up on The Twilight Zone, getting some Twilight Zone facts, or facts about Rod Serling, um, the creator of The Twilight Zone... Um, so I've got three Twilight Zone books here. Um, I could recommend more, but these are the only three that I have read, and I'm not going to be recommending books that I haven't read before. So these are just the three that I recommend from my own personal experience. So we've got the first one, and I'm going to be going roughly in order of which they came out. So it's not a top three, I'm just going to, that's the order I'm going to be talking about them in. This is by Mark Scott Sacree. The Twilight Zone Companion. Um, and Mark Dewisiak talks a little bit about this book because he had set out, he wanted to write a Twilight Zone book. He's like, this is what I've set out to do. I want to write the comprehensive like Twilight Zone guide. And then this book came out. And so this book was very early. This book came out, I want to say the first edition came out in the very early 80s um, of this one. Maybe it'll tell me in the book if I go over here. Copyright 1982. Um, was when it was written, um, dedicated to Gloria Zakri, mother and true friend, and so this book is basically a comprehensive history of the Twilight Zone, history of every episode, it's all broken down in depth with not only the plot synopsis, synopsises, but, you know, behind-the-scenes information. He puts a little bit of himself. There's a little bit of review in there as well. The Twilight Zone has captivated, teased, and haunted the imaginations of countless millions of viewers from its 1959 debut through its 156 subsequent episodes and many years of steady rebroadcast. The Twilight Zone Companion, a 1983... On the back of the book, it says 1983, but I guess it was copywritten in 1982... American Book Award nominee is the complete show-by-show -show guide to one of television's all-time greatest series, Zakri's account of the series from inception to cancellation through syndication and subsequent offshoots and remakes is a fascinating read for even the most casual fan. Coverage of each episode includes a plot synopsis, Rod Serling's narrations, critical commentary, behind-the-scenes stories, and anecdotes from the original artists who created the series, a complete list of cast and credits, and over 200 production photographs. So this book is one of the best Twilight Zone books out there, which is why I decided to get it and read it for my own personal collection. Um, as you heard in the description, there's tons of images from the Twilight Zone behind the scenes, screen caps, 
Um, a lot of stuff you can't really see anywhere other than this book. Um, of course, it has the full credits of every episode. It has the plot synopsis. It goes very much in-depth about a lot of things in the Twilight Zone. So if you're really interested in the history of the Twilight Zone, the behind-the-scenes, the technical, like, factual stuff of the Twilight Zone itself, this would be the book I would recommend. But, however, if you're interested in the biography and factualness of the creator Rod Serling, I highly, highly recommend As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling, of course, written by Anne Serling, his daughter. Um, and this book is, it's hard to even discuss it without going through too much about it. Um, this book was basically, she wrote it a lot later after her father passed away, but it was a bit of a coping mechanism for Anne to write this about her father, and a lot of it dispels a lot of theories that had been about her father over the years. Obviously, I guess like with my generation, it's a lot more obvious um, that Rod Serling was playing a character on TV. Um, he was not a spooky guy in real life. Um, but So she goes through great detail explaining the man behind the Twilight Zone. It's not really a history of the Twilight Zone, it's a history of the man himself, his struggles, um, trying to get the show created, and of course before that with stuff like Heavyweight, uh, Requiem for a Heavyweight, um, and some of the other stuff he was doing, like Patterns. Um, it just goes a history of his life, and it goes through stories about his like work process. He had like a shed in the back. Um, it goes into like... And I haven't read it in a few years. I read this a few years ago, so I don't know all of the details. But it talks about, like, visiting, like, the grandparents' home. It talks about Rod Serling on vacations. It talks about, like, what, how much of a goofball he really was in real life. He was a happy guy. Um, he loved his family, loved his dogs, um, loved to go on vacation. He loved to sing and dance with the, uh, the lampshade over his head and stuff like that. Just a really, really heartfelt um, book. A beautiful tribute to her father. Um, and it's a really great read, and it's very good if you want the history of the man himself. Though begun and lost, Anne's story is a celebration of extraordinary relationship with her father and the qualities she came to prize him through. Empathy, kindness, and an uncompromising sense of social justice. As I Knew Him is a lyrical, intimate tribute to Rob Serling's legacy as visionary storyteller and humanist and a moving testament to the love between fathers and daughters. Rod Serling, a true goat, a legend of the industry, one of the greatest showrunners of all time, um, and created one of the best shows of all time, and it's good to learn about the man himself, um, and yeah, it's just a really great book, I can't recommend it enough, I want to reread it again, um, it's very, very interesting and insightful, um, and I really enjoyed reading it at the time, I read that in like 2017, um, it was a very good time. And the last book, and perhaps the most recent one to come out about the Twilight Zone that I'm going to be recommending is Everything I Need to Know I Learned in the Twilight Zone, of course, by Mark DeWidziak, A Fifth Dimension Guide to Life. It's a very, very good book. I don't know why I had an awkward pause there. I was just kind of looking at the art on the back of the book. Um, I have the hardcover version of this book. There are actually two editions of it now. There's a hardcover and a softback. Um, I kind of want to get the softback version because it's an updated version of the book 
which includes more life lessons from the Twilight Zone, including some from the Jordan Peele series. Um, but I had also read this back when it first came out. Of course, I had Mark on the show back when the book first came out to talk everything about the book. And this book is basically, it's a basically a self-help book, but it also goes into how the Twilight Zone ties into our lives and using life lessons from the Twilight Zone. Because in nearly every episode of the Twilight Zone, there is a life lesson. It's not just, oh, this is scary and weird for the sake of being scary and weird. There's definitely a lot of comments and social commentary about race, class, um, the way we treat each other, the way we treat ourselves, the way we should be treating each other and ourselves, um, prejudices, um, all kinds of stuff. That, and the, and it, it talks about this a little bit in the As I Knew Him book. But when Rod was trying to make these films and television shows and dramas and all this kind of stuff, and he was getting like, left and right denied because of the subject matter. But with the Twilight Zone, I mean, you just say, oh, it's aliens, and it doesn't matter if it's an allegory for racism or whatever. You know, people just look at it as like, oh, it's some dumb sci-fi bullshit. But really, you can tell some interesting stories with great plot lines, great stuff. It's more than just aliens and monsters and stuff like that. But through that facade, he was able to tell many great stories with great life lessons um, and tell some very important things at the time that were really ahead of the time in terms of television and cinema. Everything I Need to Know I Learned in the Twilight Zone um, is a great book that goes through a lot of life lessons about the Twilight Zone, like knowing your passion, um, follow your dreams, um, don't be... Uh, the Boy Who Cried Wolf, Share With Others. Um, there's all kinds of lessons. Be careful what to wish for. Be careful what you wish for. Um, and some of these, it just focuses... Some of the chapters in this book, it just captures one episode of The Twilight Zone. But some, you can get life lessons, and it's the same life lessons in a plethora of episodes. Um, so each chapter is a little different. Each chapter sometimes focuses on Mark, the writer himself. There's a great chapter where he talks about a lost dog that he found, um, and he really puts himself into the book, which I enjoy, and it's very conversational. Um, it doesn't feel like you're reading a textbook or anything. It's very, very laid back, very conversational, and it's a very great read. Um, I don't really know what else to say about it. I'm kind of rambling at this point. Basically because, as I said at the top of the show, I don't really know what I'm getting into with this show. I'm just going with the flow. Um, but this is a very, very great book. I recommend all three of these books. Um, and like I said with this one, every chapter is different. It can focus on one episode. It can focus on five episodes. Um, it can focus on just like a moment from an episode that maybe you wouldn't think had a life lesson in it and stuff like that. So it's a very, very great read. All three of these books are really awesome. Just once again, The Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Scott Secree. As I Knew Him, My Dad Rod Serling by Ann Serling. And Everything I Need to Know I Learned in The Twilight Zone by Mark Dewidziak. And yeah, so that is my recommendations of Twilight Zone books. If you guys have read any books about the Twilight Zone and you want to send them my way, let me know, because I'm always looking to read up more about the Twilight Zone. I know there's plenty of Twilight Zone books out there, um, but it's just hard to know where to start. So these would be my three recommendations of where to start. But if you guys have any recommendations, let me know, because I would love to read some more stuff. 
And now we're going to be getting into some of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. And maybe if we have time, I'm not sure how long we're going to be going here, but maybe get into some of your favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. And I'm going to be going, like I said at the beginning of this, these aren't going to be my top 20 like in order. These are just going to be 20 recommendations. The order I'm going to be speaking them in is the order of seasons. So we'll start with season 1, season 2, season 3. There's not any in season 4, like I said, and season 5. Um, and judging on how many episodes that I picked out for the top 20 per season, that'll basically tell you what the strongest seasons are. Um, if you're looking to watch, or maybe you want to pick and choose episodes here and there, or maybe you want to watch it season by season. Um, these are just my recommendations. Um, again, I'm no expert on The Twilight Zone, um, so definitely take everything I say with the, f with the knowledge that you guys know that this is opinion. This isn't, these are the factual 20 best episodes of The Twilight Zone. There's some episodes that people really like that I didn't include in the list. Right off the bat, I didn't include the episode with the talking Tina doll in it. I didn't include the episode with the dummy in it. It's just called the dummy, and I think the other one's just called the doll. Uh, mainly because there's a lot better adaptation, although those started that trend, there's a lot better killer doll movies out now i mean look at child's play for example um but the talking tina doll started it all so it's definitely an episode to check out but it definitely didn't make my top 20 um but these are the episodes that did make my top 20 so we're gonna start as i said with season one walking distance an ad executive under pressure at his job visits his hometown only to find himself returned to his childhood this episode is really great. Um, he just stops at this gas station, and he's kind of like a dick. Like, he pulls up at this gas station, and immediately he's, like, mad that the guy isn't pumping his gas, like, instantly. Um, it's just a different time, I guess. I mean, now we live in an age where no one has a gas pumper. Everyone pumps their own gas. Um, but basically, his town is in walking distance from where his car is going to get fixed, and so he walks back into the town, and he's actually transported into his childhood. He goes to, like, the soda bar he used to go to. And at first, he doesn't realize he went back in time. He's like, oh, I'll take the three-scoop uh, soda or whatever. And the guy tells him it's only a dime. And he's like, oh, it was a dime back in my day. And he was like, oh, surely the owner of this place isn't alive. Like, what a good man or whatever. And, of course, the owner is alive, like, upstairs. And then he's walking downtown, he's like seeing all these things he used to see when he was a child, and he actually sees himself as a child. He like goes up to like this, um, I don't, I can't recall what they're called, like a gondola, or like a, like basically, uh, what are the, I, why is the name escaping me? A gazebo, a gazebo. He goes up to like this gazebo, and he sees himself as a kid like carving his name into it. He goes to see his parents. As a pa his parents, of course, think he's just like this crazy guy who's like, oh, I'm your son, but it's clearly like an adult man, and their son is right there, and the son's like 10 years old. And he goes to like the fair, um, where he was as a kid. He checks his, uh, the father finds his ID and is like, oh, you, this driver's license says it expires in the 60s. Um, it says your name, it has your birthday, like you are my son, I don't know how you got here. 
Um, and it's through life lessons that he gets put back into his normal time, and he goes back to the soda shop, and the the thing is the normal price. It's back to everyday inflation. It's no longer a dime, and he goes back to his car. But it's just a great, great episode. I'm not, and I'm being kind of vague on purpose about some of the. Um, conversations that happen in the episode and some of the things that happen, because I do want you guys to go and check out all of these episodes. Um, but Walking Distance is a very, very great one from season one. Um, it's one of the earliest episodes of the show. I think it's like episode eight or something like that. The next episode is The Hitchhiker. A woman driving cross-country keeps seeing a hitchhiker everywhere she goes. Um, this one is just classic. Um, and the guy, the hitchhiker himself, his face is unforgettable. Um, the, the lengths this woman is going through to get rid of the hitchhiker, um, or something. There's definitely the scene where she gets, like, stuck by the train and stuff like that. She thinks this guy's gonna get him. Um, it's just a very straightforward, solid episode. Plays to the horror aspect of the Twilight Zone. Like, again, a lot of these episodes are more sci-fi. Um, but the hitchhiker is definitely a lot more horror than some of the, than some of the other episodes, um, but one episode that I do think is pretty scary, and also dabbles into the sci-fi is the next episode, the first episode that I ever saw of the Twilight Zone, Mirror Image. A woman in a bus depot is treated by strangers as if they've seen her before, and soon realizes that she has a doppelganger. This episode I thought was horrifying as a kid. Um, there's this, this lonely girl, she's in the, in the bus station or whatever, she goes to talk to the guy at the ticket booth, and the guy at the ticket booth is, like, really mean to her, and he's like, ma'am, you keep asking me these questions, I'm telling you the bus is gonna come when the bus is gonna come, we don't know, and she's like, this is the first time I've been up here, and again, the guy just thinks she's kind of crazy. She's looking for her luggage, and he's like, ma'am, you checked your luggage, your luggage is back here. And there's just a lot of, like, crazy stuff going on, and there's people who believe her, there's people that don't believe her, someone's trying to help her along the way. Um, and of course, you see the mirror image. Um, and it's just a really great episode. Again, I'm trying to stay vague with these, because I want you guys to watch them. Um, but Mirror Image is a very great episode. It's one that always stuck in my mind. And it's one that, like, when I was re-watching The Twilight Zone or, like, rediscovered it, like, when I was in high school and stuff, I was like, I gotta find the episode where she's at the bus station again. Because that is the one where I instantly recognized The Twilight Zone. That's the episode that really gave me everything that The Twilight Zone was about. Um, I learned a lot from that episode. So that episode was kind of like a benchmark for me for a few years. Uh, like, what episodes were good, which ones weren't as great, and stuff like that. Um, but Mirror Image, definitely a great episode from Season 1. Coming up next to round out the first season of The Twilight Zone, we're finally almost done with Season 1. Um, and there's actually quite a few more in Season 2, I think, than Season 1. Season 1 actually only had four episodes. So in total, Season 1, very good season. Um, to round things out... Um, we're going to be talking about perhaps my favorite episode from season one. And that, of course, is The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. A power failure causes the residents of a suburban neighborhood to suspect one another of being monsters from outer space planning an invasion. This episode, everything from the direction, the narration, the twist, 
Um, just everything in this episode really, really gels with me. Um, I really love the messages behind this episode, because everyone in this neighborhood is just blindly accusing each other of being aliens. Um, they're, like, staying outside all night, like, spying on each other and stuff like that, trying to see who's going to slip up and reveal themselves to be not of this world. Um, this episode has great casting as well. Um, it has two veteran actors who also appear in the Night Stalker movie um, from the 70s, which everyone knows that I love. We've got Claude Akins and Barry Atwater, um, both great performances in this episode, playing two very different types of characters. Um, but yeah, basically, it's not only a power outage in the neighborhood, it's like a whole everything. Like, the whole energy just stops. Like, the cars aren't working as well. So it's not just the power in the homes, it's the power of the vehicles as well. Um, at one point, because they're like, oh, we're, we'll just walk over to the next street or go downtown and talk to someone, see what's going on. I'm sure they'll get the power lines up soon. Um, but then they go and see the cars aren't working, which makes them think, okay, something else is really going on here. And it's a kid that actually suggests that it could be aliens, because I think he read it in a comic book or something like that. So then, of course, they all think the kid is an alien. Um, they think one neighbor is an alien because he wasn't outside with everyone else and he has insomnia. So they see him up late at night some nights. Um, and of course, there's one house as well. I won't say if it was one of the people or not, but one of their houses still works. Like, the power is still on, and then other people's houses sporadically go on here and there. Um, so it's just a pretty big mystery to see who the real bad guy is in this episode. But as I said, a lot of... I mean, it's very relevant today, um, because a lot of people are just blindly accusing the other side of this and that and what have you, and, you know... So, it's very relevant today, this episode as well. People make a lot of judgments about other people um, and stuff like that. So, it's very, very, very just as relevant today as it was back then. But as I said, that is going to round out Season 1 of The Twilight Zone. So, as I said, we got four episodes from Season 1. Uh, Walking Distance, The Hitchhiker, Mirror Image, and The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Um, season two, we have more episodes than just four. So if you were to base that off of what I said at the beginning, I like season two a little bit better than season one, just as a whole. Um, but again, there's certain episodes like pick and choose, like from, like obviously I like the monsters on, are due on Maple Street, um, very much. I think better than pretty much every episode in season two, maybe. Um, but just as a whole, season two is a lot better. Um, it's hard to say. I don't know. I think coming up, we're going to be getting to some of the big episodes. So you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. So for season two, we're going to be starting things off with another one of my personal favorites, um, The Howling Man. Um, this isn't an episode I see people talk about far too often. Um, I mean, it gets mentioned every here and then, but as, as far as, like, the top-tier Twilight Zones, I don't hear it mentioned as much as some of the others. I mean, it's still mentioned, but it's not in the forefront like some of the other ones. Um, a man lost in a storm finds a... Wow, I'm getting tongue-twistered. Did you just hear that? I got twisted of the tongue. A man lost in a storm finds a monastery where the monks claim a howling prisoner is the devil himself. Um, I love this episode mainly because... It has the, all the spooky vibes that I like. This is one of the few episodes that really feels 
like a spooky episode. Um, of course, this episode, as I said, was from season two. It's the fifth episode of the show. Um, it stars John Carradine as the leader of this monastery, Brother Jerome, as he's known. Um, the man who wanders in, his name is David, and basically he's just like, it's a horrible storm, I don't know where I am, I just need shelter and food until I can figure out what's going on. So he goes in there, of course, it's all these guys in, like, religious, like, cloaks, and they don't want him to stay there, um, and of course they all have, like, the big thick beards and that, it looks like a, it looks like a cult, like, monks or some sort of religious cult in the forest, um, and of course they have a man who's prisoner there, who is the howling man, because he's making these howling noises. They say that he's the devil himself, he must be locked up, but the man claims that everyone in this cult is just crazy, especially Brother Jerome, you can't trust Brother Jerome. And so the entire episode is just this man deciding whether or not he's going to trust the monks and believe that this man is the devil, or if he's going to set this man free and the two of them make their escape. Um, but the entire atmosphere of this episode, I just absolutely love. Um, of course, you got the stormy outside, and you're in this big, like, gothic castle monastery. Um, this episode is just phenomenal, um, in my opinion, from every sense of the, the definition of phenomenal. Everything about this episode is really, really great. I love it. I don't know if I'd put it in my top five Twilight Zones, but just on atmosphere alone and the performances, it's definitely, definitely would be one of the top tier episodes for me. Um, coming up next is perhaps the most famous episode of the Twilight Zone, which of course is Eye of the Beholder. I'm not sure if I really need to go into the plot of Eye of the Beholder for you guys to really know what this episode is about. If you've seen any episode of The Twilight Zone, or heard of The Twilight Zone, this is probably the episode that you've seen, um, besides maybe one more, which we'll get to in Season 5. But I definitely think that this is in, like, the top two episodes of The Twilight Zone that everybody knows. Um, a woman wrapped in bandages after facial surgery hopes that she will no longer be ugly. Um, is the synopsis of this one. Um, and this one, I don't really mind giving away the twist because um, everyone knows it. If for some reason you haven't seen this episode or haven't heard of this episode or the imagery associated with this episode, um, just skip ahead a couple minutes um, and then, you know, back up um, accordingly. I have the Beholder. I'm assuming all of you guys have seen it, so I don't think anyone's going to have to skip ahead. So, I have the Beholder. Obviously, she's wrapped in bandages the entire thing. And it's portrayed that she is this ugly person. She's had surgery many, many times. Of course, they unwrap the bandages, and she's strikingly beautiful. She looks like a normal human being, but everyone around her looks like monsters. Um, so that's the twist. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and they have to take her away to a place where everyone looks ugly. Of course, she's picking up by a handsome man. Um, but compared to all the rest of the people, they think she's hideous. Um, they think he and she are hideous. And they have to live at, like, this land of misfits and stuff. When everyone else has these pig faces. Um, again, the imagery is so iconic. Um, it's very similar to the concepts in the Munsters, if you guys have seen my Munster episode, where they think the niece character is ugly, and the Munsters are also beautiful and handsome. When the Munsters are, of course monsters.
Um, but yeah, so that's going to wrap up things about Eye of the Beholder. So if you were skipping ahead, Eye of the Beholder is wrapping up, wrapping up now, moving on to the next episode. Moving on to the next episode. Nick of Time. This episode is great. Um, star my boy Billy Shatner. Um, you know, the goddamn goat. Um, a superstitious newlywed becomes convinced in spite of the protests of his bride, that a fortune-telling machine's predictions are quite accurate. Um, basically, they're traveling, and I think their car breaks down or something like that, and they're in this town. They stop at a diner real fast to just grab some food. And at the table, I think it's like I think it's like a napkin holder. Because I don't think it's a jukebox. I think it's like the little napkin holder at the desk. It has like a little like devil head on the top of it. You put a coin in, and it'll answer your questions. And this guy is just taking everything that this little machine that obviously would have to the normal person not be anything noteworthy. It's just a little gimmick. You put your little money in, and the card will say, like, yes or no, or maybe. or It's, like it's basically a magic eight-ball scenario. But this guy is taking it like way too seriously. He's basing every decision that they're going to make off of what this machine tells them to do. And who knows, is the guy going crazy? Does this machine have something to say? Is there some, some like, darker element to this? Um, who knows? Who knows? You'll have to watch the episode and find out what is really going on with Nick of Time. Um, I think this episode is also very similar to another episode um, that I didn't put in my top 20. I think it's called The Fever. It's the one where the guy just keeps going back to the slot machine. Um, I find a lot of similarities between those two episodes, but between the two, I like Nick of Time better, um, so that's why I went for it in my top 20 list that we're doing here. Next, we've got Night of the Meek, the Christmas episode of The Twilight Zone. It's weird. Did you guys think that the, the Twilight Zone would have a Christmas episode if you hadn't heard about The Twilight Zone before? Um... Because everyone sees it as this dark and spooky show. But not all episodes are like that. Not all episodes have a dark ending. Some episodes are actually very uplifting. Um, and this is one of those. Night of the Meek. A drunken department store Santa Claus is fired by his boss on Christmas Eve. And then finds a sack that gives people anything that they want. Um, this episode is just really great. Um, there's not as much to say about it for me personally, because I'd rather you guys just go watch it, because again, it is unlike so many episodes of The Twilight Zone. Um, and it's a good episode to watch around Christmas time. Um, so if you guys are looking for something to watch around Christmas time, that's about 20 minutes. Maybe it's something a little different than what you're normally watching. Like if you watch like The Grinch or Charlie Brown Christmas and stuff like that, like those Christmas like short stuff, like you're not wa trying to watch like a full film, throw on Night of the Meek. It's a, it's a good one to watch around the holidays. Um, that's the only time I watch it. Like I don't watch it other times of the year. I watch it. I try to watch it. Um, not, maybe not every Christmas, but I try to watch it every once in a while. Um, the next one is The Invaders. Um, this episode is another one that is very horror in nature. Of course, it is sci-fi as well, because we're talking about invaders, we're talking about aliens. Um, but this episode really plays on the horror. Um, a woman living alone in a rural house is stalked by tiny beings from another planet. Um... And yeah, so basically she's invaded by these tiny aliens, and the entire episode is basically a silent film. 
Um, except for the fact you hear music, you hear the lady screaming and things like that. But there's no, like, spoken dialogue from the main part of the story. Of course, you have the narration, you have the ending and the twist and the explanations and stuff like that. But as far as, like, the main chunk of the episode, there's no spoken word um, when the invaders are coming to the lady's house. Um, so it stands out like that because a lot of time, Like, the Twilight Zone is known for its great writing and this shows how great the writing is when there's no dialogue it shows that it can still tell a compelling story um with no spoken dialogue the writing is just good from the plot points the writing is just good from the narrations it's not all about the dialogue in the episode twilight zone's writing is just good um so yeah you can have a good well-written episode without having dialogue in it um, very great. Love the twist. Love the atmosphere. Um, emphasis on the fear atmosphere. Um, and yeah, this episode's this episode's fun. It's one that kind of blows by because there's no dialogue. Um, so that one's a quick one to go ahead and watch. Next one is the obsolete man. Um, this is my favorite out of the Burgess Meredith episodes. Burgess Meredith was in several episodes of the Twilight Zone. Um, probably most notably Time Enough to La- Time Enough at Last, which I don't have in my top 20, even though it's a very prestigious episode. Um, but that's the one he's most known for. He was also in an episode in the illustrious fourth season um, called Printer's Devil. Um, but this is my favorite episode with Burgess Meredith, The Obsolete Man. In a future totalitarian society, a librarian is declared obsolete and makes rather unusual requests to the chancellor as to the manner of his execution. So basically, like the the imagery, in, like a lot of these episodes, I keep, and I keep saying the same thing, that the imagery is iconic. The imagery is iconic in this one. Of course, you have the room where the chancellor sits um, and the people come in. Um, and that is just one of the classic Twilight Zone set pieces. Um, it's really awesome. Of course, this episode is great from a writing perspective as well. Just like the last episode I said, it's great when there's not dialogue. This is an episode that shows that it's great when there is dialogue. Um, basically, he's obsolete. It's the future. No one needs the library anymore. So he's put to death to keep the surplus population low. And basically, he's able to decide his own means of execution and he chooses self-destruction. Um, so he's going to basically blow himself up. Um, but he invites the Chancellor over um, to witness this and locks him in. So basically he wants to blow up the Chancellor and himself at the same time. And of course there's a twist. Of course you're not going to know if the Chancellor is going to make it out or not. You don't know if the guy is going to survive. Um, and maybe it's a twist and he's going to escape and keep the Chancellor in there. Um, there's a lot of great deep conversations in there. And of course all of this is being broadcast um, live for people to watch around the country. This man getting executed. So, there's a lot of moving parts to this episode, although it primarily just takes place in two rooms. Um, the Chancellor's room and then this uh, gentleman's apartment. Those are the main two locations of this one. So, it's very simple in concept, but it's very complex in nature and dialogue um, and stuff like that. So, this episode's really, really great. Um, one of my personal favorites, obviously, that's why it's on the list. 
Coming up next to round out season two is going to be The Silence, the final episode from my picks of season two. An aristocratic club member bets that a talkative acquaintance cannot stay silent for an entire year. Another simple concept. Um, basically, these dudes hate each other's guts, um, and they're trying to one-up each other um, because basically this guy is found strikingly annoying by the aristocrat. He's always talking, he's always talking a big game, blah, 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 blah. So he bets him a large amount of money that he can't stay silent for an entire year. And of course, how do you monitor a guy being silent the entire year? He basically has to be on display and under surveillance the entire time. So they make like a glass cage for him. And of course, he's got like a, a bed, a couch, chairs, like stuff like that. Like he's existing just in this small room for an entire year and cannot speak. And of course, they're telling the chant, the, the aristocrat, oh, you better have the money. This guy is, he's going to do it. He's going to be silent the entire year. You better make sure you have this money. And the guy is sure of the fact that he can get this dude to crack and talk. So he's going in there, he's telling him his wife's out cheating on him, he's saying all this kind of stuff, um, in order to get him to lash out and be all mad, or even to escape the cage, to get him to lash out, be upset, so he finally speaks. He's in there taunting him, taunting him, and I will leave the rest up to a mystery. Is he going to stay silent? Because... It's really tearing him apart. He really thinks his wife is out there cheating on him. Of course, his wife isn't coming to visit him or anything like that. Um, so it is suspicious. So is the man going to talk? Is he going to survive to get a shit ton of money? We will let you guys decide. Of course, there are a couple twists and turns in this episode as well at the ending. Um, but I will leave it up to you to watch this one to see if the man stays silent or not. And as I said, that is going to be rounding out season number two. Moving on to season three, we have A Game of Pool, which is another one. I keep saying it's another one of my favorite episodes. Obviously, it's one of my favorite episodes if I'm talking about it. A Game of Pool. A legendary pool player returns from the dead to meet the challenge of a pool shark with the shark's life at stake. This episode, pretty much, it's another one where it takes place pretty much all in one location. Um, it all takes place in the pool hall, and then sort of like this afterlife scenario that it flashes to for a little bit um, to show um, Fats coming back to life, the pool shark, the legendary best pool player of all time. Um, and this episode is really deep with the dialogue. It's not just about the game of pool; it's about their conversations, about wanting to the, wanting to be the best, the sacrifices you make to be the best. He's saying like. Have you ever left this pool hall? Like, have you enjoyed life? Like, you haven't gotten married? Um, they're talking about, like, the meaning of life. They're talking about um, deeper meanings to what the game of pool is about, what their lives have represented, what they've been doing with the sacrifices that they've made, stuff like that. Um, I'm just sort of rambling at this point. But this episode is really, really great. Um, of course, it has another twist at the end, but it's one that the twist you kind of understand is coming. Um, you see the twist fairly early on, like, you kind of get, like, what's gonna happen. Um, but the character doesn't know the twist. Everyone sort of knows what's gonna happen except one of the characters. Um, so this is another one that is very great. Highly recommend it. 
Um, just like the next episode I'm going to be talking about, another one that is extraordinarily famous. And that, of course, is It's a Good Life. A six-year-old boy terrorizes the residents of Peaksville, Ohio, with special powers that control reality. This episode, man, um, it's a twist on the, like, cursed little boy thing. Um, and it's one of the first ones to do it. So this boy has magical powers, and basically, it this episode's hilarious, showing the adults bending over backwards for this kid. Because this kid has the power to kill anyone, he can do anything he wants, he can basically say whatever he wants because of that, and, like, he shows up and... Um, one of the parents is like, oh, what are you doing? And the kid's like, oh, I just killed this animal or whatever. And then he's like, oh, that's a good thing you did, son. Oh, that's great. That's great that you did that. I'm very happy you did that. Because he can't punish his child, because if he punishes his child, his kid's just gonna make him disappear into the cornfield. Um, and no one wants to go to the cornfield. Once you go to the cornfield, you're never going back. Of course, this is a, like a country town, um, and they're all sitting around, they have to watch what the kid wants to watch on TV because that's the only thing that's on the TV. He changed all of the channels and it's just playing like this dinosaur show. And everyone's like, oh yeah, it's great that you did that. It's great that you did that, Anthony. Um, it's great that that's the only channel that's on TV is this dinosaur show. Um, of course, there's he turns one character into a jack-in-the-box. And... They can't show that they're upset that he killed this guy. They're like, oh, it's great that you did that. Oh, it's great that you turned him into a jack-of-box and killed him. Oh, it's great you sent so-and-so to the cornfield. It's great that you um, did this and that and made everyone's life absolutely abysmal. Um, so it's just a hilarious episode. Um, and it's kind of scary to think about, like, how would you react if there was someone... I mean, you'd have to do what they say because he would kill you. Um, so it's very interesting... Um, and it's, it's a good, um, twist, because it would be different if, like, it was an adult making adult decisions with this power. It's a kid making kid decisions with this power. Um, so it's a very, very interesting episode, one of the best episodes of The Twilight Zone, one of the most famous episodes of The Twilight Zone, definitely, like, in the top five most famous episodes of the show. Of course, this one was remade, um, in Twilight Zone, the movie, um, the twist is like he's watching cartoons and he turns a bunch of the people into cartoons, makes the cartoons come to life and stuff like that. If I can recall correctly, I haven't seen Twilight Zone the film in a long time. Um, but overall, really, really awesome episode and we will be moving on to the next one. And what is up next is going to be five characters in search of an exit. This episode is, obviously, I keep saying this over and over again, but all of them are among my favorite episodes. This one, its simplicity um, is what I think makes it so great. Um, an army major, a clown, a hobo, a ballerina, and a bagpiper find themselves in a cylinder with no memory of how they got there. Um, and basically, it's just them in search of an exit. They're trying to escape. There's no windows there's no doors they're just in this big cylinder and the only way to get out is up top um this one it's as i said it's simplicity is what makes it so great um and the solution at the end once you get to what the twist is you find out who these people are and how they're going to get out of here and what the greater purpose of them being there being inside of here is 
Um, it's just a simple twist, um, but it's something that, I don't know, there's just something about this episode that has, like, a certain charm to it, um, that I like. Um, again, there's not as much to say about it, um, it's mainly just them in there talking, trying to find out, and then the big reveal at the end, um, of where they actually are. So, simple episode, simple to talk about, again, don't want to give anything away, um, but it's just interesting, because you see all the characters have, like, a certain gimmick, like, from a certain walk of life, so then when the twist does get revealed, it all makes sense why they would be all together. Um, why would an army major, a clown, a hobo, a ballerina, and a guy playing bagpipes all be together? Why were they selected to be stuck in this cylinder together? What is the link that ties all of them together? Um, so it, it's interesting. I mean, it's kind of like... I don't know, it's kind of like Saw. I guess in a very weird way, it's kind of like Saw. Um, because... I, especially with, like, Saw 2. All the people are linked together somehow. Um, and it's similar to this. All of these characters are linked together. You just don't know exactly how they're linked together and what it means um, until the end. So, just a decent episode. I really like it. The next episode is To Serve Man. A very iconic episode, of course. Um, representatives of a nine-foot-tall alien race come to Earth and offer mankind cures for all of its earthly ills. This episode is, um, very notable for its twist. It's a very obvious twist. I mean, it's in the title. Um, it's a very obvious twist, so I'm just gonna... You know what? I won't give it away. If you haven't seen it, I won't give it away. Uh, but there's a very iconic line that shouted... Um, at the end, I think repeatedly, I think they say it a couple times, um, so maybe you know what the line is, but maybe you don't know what episode it's from, and maybe this is your first time hearing, um, it within the context of that episode, um, so yeah, I'm not, I won't give that one away for you guys, um, but basically these aliens come to Earth, and what do aliens do a lot of times when they come to Earth? They're either mean aliens that are trying to kill humans, or like in the day the Earth stood still, um, they're trying to help humans. In this one, allegedly the aliens are trying to help humans. They're going to say, oh, we're, we're able to cure all of your disease. We're here to serve man. We're here to help you guys. Um, and yeah, and they don't communicate with their mouths. They like never speak. Like their brains are like so big that they can like communicate like telepathically um, and stuff like that. Um, and they carry around the books like to serve man. It's their handbook. Um, and of course they can't read it because it's in an alien language. Um, but basically, eventually humans start taking trips to their home planet, which is described as a paradise, um, to get away from Earth, which is riddled with disease and poverty and, you know, everything that's bad about the Earth. Um... And again, this episode is just simply classic. Um, the aliens are super iconic in this. These are probably the most famous alien character creatures from the Twilight Zone that you see. Um, you see many aliens um, throughout the series. One of my favorites is the one that has um, the third eye like on his forehead. Um, but these ones are the most iconic. These are the aliens that everyone thinks of when they think of the Twilight Zone. The huge, looming aliens wearing the robes and the giant brains, they kind of look like, in that episode of Spongebob, when Gary is in his dream, and he becomes like a librarian, like scholar, and he's wearing that robe, um, it kind of is reminiscent of the aliens from To Serve Man, the episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, I don't think it was intentional, I think I'm probably the only one to make that connection, um, but I'm just saying they look a little similar. 
The next episode is Little Girl Lost. This episode was first brought to my attention um, because this episode, to me, is one of the first episodes that like really, really sticks in my mind because one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons is a parody of this one. Um, Homer 3D, I believe it's called, where basically Homer gets stuck in an alternate dimension, um, and they have to try to get him out, and the, the, the alternate dimension CG, um, and eventually Homer ends up in the real world. Of course, of course, the episode of The Twilight Zone is much, much different than that, but the concept is still the same. A lot of the plot points, a lot of the elements to the story, um, there's a part where you're drawing on the wall with chalk, that's ripped straight out of the Twilight Zone episode, um, from this Into the Simpsons, um, and it's one of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons, which is why I really like this episode of The Twilight Zone, um, because it's cool to see where it came from. So, Little Girl Lost. When a little girl disappears from her bedroom without a trace, her parents call a physicist to help her, to help them investigate her disappearance. I think one of the funniest things about this episode, just, like, things that, like, are funny to mention, is that, basically... They call their friend happens to be a physicist, and he comes over at, like, 3 a.m. Like, how many 3 a.m. physicists do you know? Um, so there's a lot of things you need to, like, suspend your disbelief even more so than you're suspending your disbelief by watching an episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, it's But this episode is just great, um, trying to find the girl. Um, of course, the dog gets lost as well into the alternate dimension. Um, you do actually see the alternate dimension um, towards the ending. Um... But most of the time, it's just them in the house trying to find the portal into the dimension. Um, eventually, they find it. They make the chalk markings on the wall, um, which I talked about. But the problem is the portal is getting smaller. So they have a small amount of time where they can get in there and get the little girl and the dog out um, before it closes up forever. So there are stakes in this episode. There is... Um, something that's giving the characters motivation moving forward. Um, I think it's a really great episode. I think it's kind of funny as well. There's some, maybe some unintentionally funny moments. Um, and they're just, like, I don't know, like, mainly the 3AM uh, physicist thing is just so funny. Um, and of course, like, they're trying to track the, um, portal by, like, sounds. So, like, they're hearing sounds in different areas of the house, um, until they finally trace it. Um, it's just a really fun episode. Um, I'm kind of just rambling at this point, so I'm just going to move on to the next episode, which is one of my all-time favorites. It's one of my all-time, like, guilty pleasure episodes. Um, this episode, I don't think anyone really... Um, I mean, I'm sure some people have, um, but it's not mentioned. Definitely, this one is not mentioned in a lot of people's top 10 Twilight Zones or top 20 Twilight Zones. But one of my personal favorites, I would put it up towards the top for me, is Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. One of my all-time favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. Very few episodes of The Twilight Zone I like better than this one. Um, a teller of tall tales attracts unwanted attention from aliens. Basically, our main character, um, Frisbee, is a gas station attendant. Um, he, well, he owns the gas station, I believe. But his whole gimmick is he, 
is a big bullshit artist, basically. He tells all these tall tales, like, oh, I work for Henry Ford, and they named everything after me, like, motor car frisbee, that's what they called me, or, like, whatever. Like, he basically says, like, oh, I have a degree in, like, seven different doctorates, like, blah, 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 blah. But really, he's just a crazy, like, redneck that owns a gas station. He's telling a bunch of bullshit. I'm talking about how he went to universities all over the country, um, how he met all these famous people, how he's basically one of the smartest people on planet Earth. But in reality, we know that's not the case, and he's just goofing around. Um, but his tale becomes so legendary that it doesn't only spread throughout Earth, it spreads into the solar system. It attracts aliens. Frisbee's intellect has become mythical. Um, and the aliens are going to track him down and get him because they want to study him as one of the greatest human minds of all time. And of course, he's going along with it as well because um, he thinks they're basically they think he's they he thinks they're fucking with him. And eventually, he reveals like, "Oh no, I'm bullshitting you guys. I'm I'm lying. Don't you know what like a lie is?" Um, and it turns out that lie is not a word that these aliens have a direct translation to in their language. So even when he explains that he's bullshitting them, they don't understand what he's saying. So they still think he's the smartest man in the world. Um, and then it's just Frisbee trying to escape um, the aliens. Um, it's a classic tale of um, the boy who cried wolf, um, a guy that has a bunch of bullshit stories, and then when something extraordinary does happen to him... Maybe people aren't going to believe him. Um, but the there's a twist in this episode. It's kind of one of the weaker twists um, on how to vanquish the aliens if he does succeed in his endeavor or not of vanquishing the aliens. The way the aliens are supposed to be vanquished, whether it happens or not, I'm not going to reveal it to you guys. Um, the twist is kind of weak. Um, I'm going to say that straight up. But the main appeal of this episode is Frisbee himself. Um, this is one of the most likable, one of the funniest um, characters in all of the Twilight Zone. It's probably, if you were to, if I was to pick my favorite Twilight Zone character, just one character from one episode, it has to be Frisbee. Um, the funniest guy of all time. Some of the funniest shit I've ever heard is in this episode. Um, just the way he can spin a lie and just, like, keep going and go, like, oh, yeah, like, Henry Ford loves Mr. Frisbee. Frisbee is where it's at and just, like, all this stuff. He has all these nicknames for himself, um, but they're kind of escaping me from right now. But whatever he did to improve, he'll be like, yep, blah, 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 Frisbee. That's what they call me. Um, it's so great. Um, and the actor who played Frisbee, he went on to do... Um, Friar Tuck in the Robin Hood, I believe, um, which is why his voice really stuck out to me. I was like, I recognize this voice on um, the first time I watched the episode a few years ago. I recognize, because this is an episode I never saw when I was a kid for some reason. This was an episode I didn't discover until I got the box set of The Twilight Zone. Um, and I recognized him as the voice of Friar Tuck um, from Robin Hood. I had to look it up to verify it. Um, when I first discovered that, but I was like, I recognize that voice, like, instantly. Um, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, that could be a whole episode I should do, like, a whole commentary on. Um, I love that episode so much, um, and no one talks about it. Um, but, to me, it's one of the greatest. 
to me, it's one of the absolute greatest. Um, whether I'm alone in that or not, uh, my opinion is not going to change about Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. And that's going to round out season number three. Um, as I've mentioned a few times, I don't have any for season four. I'm just not as familiar with the episodes from season four. I've seen them all, like, once. Um, or the exception with, like, Printer's Devil, I've seen a couple times. Um, but still, I'm not comfortable putting Printer's Devil um, into my top 20. Because I still don't think it's one of the top 20 episodes, even though it's probably the best one from Season 4. Um, I don't want to include one from Season 4 just for the sake of including one in Season 4. If I'm going to include an episode, I want it to be included for the right reasons and... None of the episodes from season four would be added for me for the right reasons. It would just be for the sake of doing it. So I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to move right on to season five, um, where we have three episodes from season five, which is going to round out our 20. Um, we've done 17 so far, so this is 18, 19, and 20. The next episode is, if it wasn't for Eye of the Beholder, these two are like neck and neck for the most popular episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, and that, of course, is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. A salesman recovering from a nervous breakdown sees a creature on the wing of an airplane he's on, but no one believes him. Um, this episode is, as I said, the most iconic, the most recognizable um, episode of The Twilight Zone. It has one of the best performances ever in an episode of The Twilight Zone. Of course, from Billy Boy Shatner, William Shatner, of course. This predates Star Trek. Um, so this is really his, like, first, like, noteworthy character. Um, because this came before Captain Kirk. Um, but this was his first big, big recognizable role. And basically the episode, he had a traumatic experience on a plane and this is his first time flying again. He has to have the window seat. And, of course, he sees the gremlin on the on the wing. Um, and that had been a thing in Looney Tunes. It had been a thing of, like, mythology with the wars um, and stuff like that, where the gremlins would be on the wings, like, taking down these planes. And it plays on that. Of course, the look of the gremlin is absolutely hilarious and iconic. Um, it's one of the greatest episodes of any television show ever. Um, it's just simply, everything about it is classic. No matter which way you look at it, the writing, the direction, the performances, the special effects, everything is absolutely classic in Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And did he see a gremlin on their wing, or did he not? Um, it does let you know at the very, very end if it was all in his mind, or if the gremlin was actually on the wing. Um, it's the Twilight Zone, man. Anything can happen, or anything could not happen. It could all be in your mind. It's not always a creature, but sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. Um, but this episode, I don't know what else to say about it that hasn't been said a million times, you guys. Um, this episode is simply one of the best, um episodes ever it's so iconic i like i i'm i know i'm repeating myself but it's just like because i don't know what to add that hasn't been said a billion times before coming up next is a ring-a-ding girl um a movie star receives a ring get it ring-a-ding girl a ring like a phone call from her fan club that draws her back to her hometown where she offers to do a one-woman show to stop plans for a town picnic um, this, she's basically, this episode is a little trippy. Um, it's a little, it's kind of like Donnie Darko-esque in a way. Um, if you've seen the ending of Donnie Darko, you kind of know what I'm talking about. How a character makes a decision 
that is impacting the greater good, although it might not be what's best for the character. Um, trying to... I don't know what the exact wording would be, but basically the character is making a big sacrifice in order for many to not have something horrible happen to them. One person is basically taking it for the team, I guess. Um, in this in this episode, she's basically setting up a stage show right across the street from where the whole town picnic is. Of course, there's a big controversy about that because why is this famous actress coming back after all of these years and she's doing something on the day of our yearly picnic that we do every year? We can't disrupt the picnic. But some people want to go to the show instead of the picnic. And some people are saying, no, fuck the show. We need to go to the picnic. Um, but you all see why at the end. So you see why it was so important for her to have that show at the specific time at that location. Um, in this episode, again, it reminds me a lot of Donnie Darko. I don't know if Donnie Darko took inspiration from this, uh, but this episode, it's really creepy. Um, it's really, I don't know, strangely uplifting in a way. Um, and it's strangely, it's very Twilight Zone-esque. There's no else, there's no other way to say it. It feels like the Twilight Zone. Um... And the very last episode that I'm going to be including is one of the last episodes of the show in general. The last great, great episode of The Twilight Zone is The Masks. At Mardi Gras, a wealthy dying man orders his daughter and her family to wear masks that show their true selves as a part of a requirement to obtain his inheritance. So, basically, this family does not give a shit about the old man. All they care about is his money. That's how they've always been their whole lives, and now he's there on his deathbed. As his dying wish, he's making them wear these hideous masks. Um, and basically, the entire episode is him just cutting promos on his family. Um, the mother always has some sort of medical problem. Um, the kids are just like snot-nosed brats. Um, the father-in-law is like a kiss-ass, but all he cares about is the money as well. None of these characters are likable, except for the grandpa. Um, and he's great. He rips into these people. Um, as I said, he's basically cutting a promo on his entire family for the whole episode. And of course, they're all bitching about it. This is this man's dying wish to wear these masks for Mardi Gras. It's Mardi Gras. You gotta wear a mask. And, of course, they're constantly bitching about it. Um, so it just goes to show they're not willing to do what he wants to do. Um, and all they care about is the money. They don't give a shit about him. Um, one thing I want to mention is that the one person who plays, like, the grandson, he's supposed to be, like, a pretty young, like, um, like young adult. He looks like he's, like, 50. Like, this dude must have had a horrible life. Um, if he, I think he's supposed to be, like, in his early 20s, maybe. He seriously looks like 40, dude. Um, it's, it's rough. Um, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, of course the doctor's telling him it's his last day on earth, so it's a good thing. Well, the doctors don't really know. The doctor is like, it could be a few hours, could be a couple weeks, could be whatever. Um, but we know that this old man isn't going to make it through the night. Um, so th this episode is just his dying wish. Um, to watch his family suffer. Um, and they're going to be suffering a lot longer than he is, if you've seen the episode. Um, this one's really great. 
Um, good special effects, good storytelling, good dialogue, good performances throughout. And they need to emote all of these emotions with just their voices. Obviously, they're wearing these masks. So you cannot see their faces. Um, so well-acted, well-directed, well-written. Um, no complaints. As I said, it is the last great, great episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, and that's going to round out my top 20 Twilight Zones. Um, so I'm just going to go through them all real fast once again. From Season 1, we've got Walking Distance, The Hitchhiker, Mirror Image, The Monsters of Dew on Maple Street. From Season 2, we've got The Howling Man, Eye of the Beholder, Nick of Time, Night of the Meek, Invaders, The Obsolete Man, and The Silence. From Season 3, we have A Game of Pool, It's a Good Life, Five Characters in Search of an Exit, To Serve Man, Little Girl Lost, and Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. From Season 4, we got Nada, we got Zilch. From Season 5, we have Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, Ring-A-Ding Girl, and The Masks. Overall, I like Season 2 the best, obviously. Um, I have seven episodes for Season 2, six for Season 3, um, then I have four for Season 1, and three rounding out Season 5. Um, but Season 5, um, it has two of the best. It has two of the absolute very best episodes with Nightmare at 20,000 Feet and The Masks. Um, so it really ended with a bang with some really good episodes. It would have been kind of not as great if season five wouldn't have ended with a couple bangers in it um but overall all four of the seasons i'm talking about with the exception of season four itself um i think are really really great um maybe one day i will rewatch all of season four maybe do a ranking of the season four episodes of the twilight zone give them their fair chance i mean maybe who knows maybe i'll have to update this list in the future maybe do like a true top 10 or a true top 20 of my favorite twilight zone episodes because as i said these aren't ranked at all they're not pitted against each other this is just simply stating the top 20 um if it was in order i would have spoken about them a lot different um, I spoke of them in chronological order, obviously. So maybe next year, or maybe some other time, maybe to celebrate the New Year's Day, um, because the New Year's Day Twilight Zone is how I always envision the Twilight Zone. It's my New Year's Day holiday. I still love watching the Twilight Zone, even though they don't do that marathon anymore. I still like to watch um, the Twilight Zone on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Um, so maybe someday I will do... A list of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone, like in order, ranked, something like that. Or go through the episodes of season four. Whatever you guys want me to do, let me know. Um, leave me a voicemail at my voicemail box. Let me know what your favorite episode of the Twilight Zone is. Um, I'm taking a look at how long I've been going. I've definitely been going too long um, in order to get into some of your favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone from my Facebook posts in this particular episode. Um, otherwise, we'd be here all day if I went through all of your comments. Um, there were a lot of people who contributed to it. And I still do plan to do that. Maybe next month I'll go through um, the comments and maybe I'll post another poll um, and get your guys' input as well that have listened to this episode. As I just said, if you have a favorite episode of The Twilight Zone, leave me a voicemail um, and maybe I'll play it on the show um, and respond to you guys. Um, but that's going to pretty much do it for this episode of Buddy's House of Horror, and I hope you guys enjoyed it, and that's going to pretty much wrap it up. 
Um, again, if you guys haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to my channel and turn on notifications so you know when I put new videos out. Of course, in October, it's every day, but I put them out sporadically throughout the year as well. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure that you're subscribing to the show. Leave me a five-star rating if it allows you to leave a rating. And yeah, just spread the good word about the House of Horror. Um, follow my social media accounts. Everything is down below in the description. Again, please get in touch with me. Let me know what your favorite Twilight Zone episodes are. Um, and I will catch your ass down the road talking about the Twilight Zone very, very soon. I'll see you guys tomorrow for another episode of the House of Horror. And with that, as always, everyone, take care and stay spooky.